So this morning we're going to be looking at a well-known passage, so if you can, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Uh, This is going to be the verse that we're going to be looking at. Uh, It's going to be Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. And as we get started, let me just pray to our Lord once again. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for this time to be able to look at your word, to gather as your saints on the Sunday morning and praise your name. Even as we done, we thank you for your word. And we ask that through it, you would so encourage our hearts, inspire us to know how we may live more for your glory. So we thank you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Well, as I was coming across uh, this passage and doing research, I came across this very well-known story. Uh, Many of us know a man named Alfred Nobel. Uh, He was a a Swedish chemist who was working very much to help uh, move forward the the chemistry behind construction. Uh, His father actually had a company in which they would build, uh, whether it was roads or houses, they were very much in the world of construction. And he was trying to create a product uh, that would better facilitate the ability of people to uh, build. And so part of this was obviously having to break down rubble or or large rocks that would uh, basically block passageways. And so through uh, many uh, years or, or months of effort, he came across something that he eventually called dynamite. A lot of us know what this very powerful chemical is. That dynamite was something that uh, would forever change the landscape of construction, right? Now you would be able to very quickly uh, break apart large rocks and things that would be in the way of construction. And after that creation in uh, the 1800s, uh, construction was forever changed. Uh, People were able to now build in a much faster way. Roads and passageways and houses uh, were able to be built at a much faster speed. Uh, But it was through also the creation of dynamite that something very sinister was also started. As much as Alfred Nobel had very noble intentions behind the product, uh, people very quickly began to find very sinister uses of it in the form of warfare. Right? Very quickly, people would use it to actually not help others, but harm others. Uh, it was used in a very explosive kind of way to harm people in war. And so, uh, though he actually built dynamite with very good intentions, uh, he eventually became known as the angel of death in his community. And this, act, this is something that grieved Alfred Nobel greatly. Right? This was the very opposite of his intention in, in creating what is known as dynamite. And so in the very end of his lifespan, in his last words or wills, he actually gave up his fortune to be used to not harm people, but to actually help people. He gave away his fortune for the purpose of awarding people who would actually facilitate peace in his lifetime and in the lifetimes to come, a prize which we now know as the Nobel Peace Prize. A lot of us know that very well. What Alfred Nobel realized, what many people in his generation, our generation, realized is that something like dynamite has great power. It could be used to help others in tremendous ways, especially when it comes to creating entire neighborhoods and cities, and yet it also has great destructive power. It is something that has the power to help communities and has the power to harm communities. And this morning, as we're looking at Proverbs 18.21, we're going to see how, uh, just like dynamite, our words have very much great power. That our tongue, our speech, has the power to both help and to harm, to build and to destroy, to construct and to destruct. This is a very common theme in the book of Proverbs. A lot of us who've studied this book know that it is, in fact, the most common topic in this entire compilation work. 
As you read through the book of Proverbs, you see how Solomon and many other saints and sages are warning us in terms of how we should think about our families, how we should think about our marriages, how we should think about money and the role of righteousness and justice and relationships and poverty. But in all of these topics, the, the topic that's hit at the most is actually our words, how we speak, what we say and how we say it. In fact, if you were to look and do a study, there's in fact over 90 different proverbs which focus specifically on our tongue. There's in fact 20 proverbs alone that talk about the dangers of gossip. And so therefore, it's so important that for us as Christians who are reading this book that we understand exactly how our words are being used. If our words are being used to help people or if they're being used to harm people. And that's exactly what we see in this very short but very powerful verse of Proverbs 18.21. Let's go ahead and read it together. It says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. A lot of us know that phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. The reality of what this proverb is saying, what God is saying is that that phrase, that adage is absolutely not true because words will affect you. The words shape us, what we hear, what we speak about, what what we talk about. They infect our souls. That words can be the very reason that a man will feel called to pursue the role of full-time ministry. And at the same time, words can be the very reason that a person has the desire to end their life. The words that we speak and the words that we hear will influence us. They help or harm us. They build or break us. And therefore, as believers, we must take our speech seriously. And we have to know how to speak with wisdom. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. It's going to be a brief overview of this one verse and really looking at a number of Proverbs and a number of passages in the Bible about how exactly it is that we should speak and how we should not speak. And as always, I just want to say from the start that this very much today is going to be just an overview of the subject, right? There's 90 or over 90 verses on the subject of speech. So there's no way we can cover them all. It's just going to be an overview. But we're going to be looking today in very three simple parts. Number one is what you should not say. What you should not say. I'm going to give you a couple examples. The first one should be fairly obvious. And this is something you see a lot in the book of Proverbs. Is we should avoid the danger of lying. Which is saying that which is false. Uh, One of the most common or popular Proverbs is uh, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 to verse 19. It's a very famous saying and says this. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are, are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that makes haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among his brothers. He's saying that these are abominations before the Lord. And that's a very specific word, talking about things that are disgusting to God. Things that almost in a sense make him revolt, that are so against his nature. 
It makes me think back to my college years. Uh, One of my freshman or sophomore years, I was still in the process of learning how to cook on my own. And on one of these very uh, famous days, I decided to try to make pasta uh, with a slow cooker. Right? It was my first time cooking. It took me uh, over an hour just to put all the ingredients together, you know, chopping up the beef, putting in the right ingredients. And eventually I was able to put it in this slow cooker, and I sort of set it aside for the day. But for some reason, it completely slipped my mind and I actually left it there for over 48 hours. Yes. <laughs> Exactly, right? You know, a lot of us had that kind of experience when you start cooking. Uh, It was a very long time, and I only realized it because I started smelling something burning and looked over and realized what was happening. Uh, Thankfully, I was not burning the apartment down. But as I looked over on the inside, right, you saw nothing but char over the surface, right? It was pure black on top. Uh, But in my desperation, because I had spent so much time, I sort of scraped off the top surface and saw that there was still some red something in there. And I decided to scrape that out and put it into a jar uh, to eat later on. Uh, But of course, right, as you know, I'm a very forgetful person. And uh, I sort of set it in there, and because of my other roommates bringing in other ingredients, you know, for that week, I actually, again, completely forgot that the sauce was there until later on in the very end of the semester, several months later, (laughs) in which I looked inside, realized what was back there, and instead of just red, there were several other colors inside the jar. That was an abomination, right? (laughs) It was something that was horribly disgusting to even look at, let alone imagine trying to eat. It was something that made me sick just even looking at it, right? From the very bottom of my stomach, I felt the sense of disgust pouring out of me just looking at that thing. And yet that is exactly what Proverbs is saying an abomination is to God. There are things that are so horribly revolting and disgusting to the nature of God that's against him. And yet what you see in Proverbs 6 is that three out of these seven abominations has to do with our speech, with how we talk to people, with what we say to other people, including a lying tongue. That when we speak falsehoods, that goes against the very nature of our God who is true. And therefore, that is an abomination that we must avoid. Proverbs speaks many much about the various forms of lying, including deception, right? Saying things that are leading people astray into knowing something that is false. And what we have to be careful of is that when we use that word lying or deception, it includes what we would consider half-truths, right? Where you say something that is technically true in order to cast a message in general that is false, There's this woman from Ireland and from the countryside who grew up in farmland who described half-truths in this way. She said this, Honesty is when you return a rope to the neighboring farm, admitting that you stole the rope. But rigorous honesty or true honesty is when you admit that there had been a cow attached to that rope. (laughs) You guys hear the difference there? Right? The first statement was very much true, and yet if you were to only say that, it is something that is used to couch or hide a lie. We have to be careful that as Christians, we don't say things that are true to actually hide things from other people, because that itself is deception. And that's exactly what Satan used in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. Right? Speaking in the form of a serpent, he looked at Eve and said, Surely if you eat that fruit, you will not die 
which was a true statement. And yet it was used to deceive her into, uh, into falling to what was the greater evil, which was spiritual death and destruction. And so very much as believers, we can, be, uh, we can be one to say that we're speaking the truth, and yet how often are we saying what is actually deceptive in nature? What, what is speaking half-truths, which are led to lead someone to believe something else? It is a form of lies that we must avoid. Proverbs speaks also very much about the danger of flattery, which is another form of lying, which is treating someone better than you actually think of them. It's the idea of acting out a lie. You have Proverbs twenty six twenty eight. a flattering mouth works ruin, which is the idea of it brings destruction into your life. It brings destruction for you and into the lives of other people. And just a couple of verses before in verse 23, the author describes flattery in this way. It says, like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his mouth. When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. And the author is saying that you have this beautiful vessel, something that looks gorgeous on the other side, right? Something that's so beautiful on the outside and inside, it harbors something ugly and disgusting. And in the same way, we can be so guilty of being the kinds of people where deep down inside, we resent a person. We, we hate a person. We feel something negative about an individual, but for whatever reason, right, maybe it's because you have to be nice in church, or maybe this is a person who is a, your boss at work, or for whatever the reason may be, in front of them, you do nothing but smile. Right? You're always acting nice to them, yet deep down inside, you feel nothing but anger and resentment to them. That is flattery, and that is an absolute evil. See, the answer given in this proverb is not that we should just vent whatever we feel, right? right? The goal of this proverb isn't just to say, okay, if you feel hatred, express your hatred. The, the idea is that most of all, we have to grow in our sense of love, right? We should not have that kind of hatred in our heart. And yet that is exactly what we must avoid, flattery. And so all of these are forms of lying that you see in the book of Proverbs. There's many others we can go through, but this is just a summary. And we have to avoid lying ultimately because it is a sin before God, but also for the very practical consequences it brings. Because the reality is that when we fill our life with lies, it destroys the possibility of real relationships, right? You know, one author, Ray Ortland, says this, True words make love and trust possible. False words conceal us from one another. That when you're speaking truth, when you're being open and honest in accountability in your relationship, that means you can genuinely know and be known. But when you are the person that is constantly lying, whether it's an overt lie or if it's deception or speaking half-truths or flattery, none of your relationships are real. In fact, when those lies are discovered, there's no sense that people can truly know who you are. That's the very famous story of the boy who cried wolf. The shepherd boy or the person who was watching over a group of animals. And so he, he wants to entertain himself. And he goes out to the city and cries, wolf, wolf. And the whole town runs out and is trying to figure out what goes on just to realize the boy was just trying to have fun. And that lie is repeated several more times until finally a real wolf comes. And when the boy goes out to the town, no one believes him. 
And what that story is saying is the danger is that when you lie enough, your words no longer have meaning. Your words no longer matter to people. It's the very scary thought of you speaking to a crowd and no one actually hears your voice. That is the ultimate danger of lies. It breaks our ability to have real relationships and practice everything that we're called to do and is therefore offensive to God. And so what is Proverbs saying? What brings death is speaking that which is false, that which are lies. But it also says we must avoid saying that which attacks or hurts other people. I'm just going to give two examples here. The first one is gossip. Saying what should not come from you. There's a lot of ways that you can describe gossip, but it's the idea of, of having personal gain at another person's expense, right? Talking about forbidden truths, talking about a person's weaknesses, talking about things that should remain private in a more open kind of setting. And what the book of Proverbs says in 18 verse 8 is that the words of a whisperer or a gossiper are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. And what what that verse is saying is that we, in our sinful nature, love gossiping, right? We love saying it and we love hearing it. That when you hear words that should remain forbidden or hidden, it, it goes down like delicious things that we just enjoy eating or dissecting. That is part of human nature. But what God is saying is that we have to avoid saying things that should remain private, right? Things that can potentially harm another individual. That is gossip, and that is wrong. And the stronger form of gossip that you hear much in Proverbs is what we would call slander, which is the idea of false gossip or untrue gossip, right? Saying things that are absolutely not true to harm a person's reputation, and I would venture to say that most of us would be able to look at both of these and say, I know these are wrong. Don't worry, I'm good, right? Now, hopefully you would be able to say that. But as you turn to the New Testament, as you hear from the New Testament writers, you hear this further warning here. That the danger is not just slander and saying things that are false, but the ultimate danger is saying things that hurt others. And you have this passage in James 4.11, which says, Do not speak against one another. Now, that can be translated, do not criticize one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. And what James is trying to say there is, we can often think that it's okay to say things that are negative if it's true. If there's a a hint of truth, it is fair game to vent whatever it is I want to say. But James is saying, do not attack another person. You should not be speaking against a brother. You should not be speaking in a way that's going to attack or harm the individual. Right? Saying things like, so-and-so is such a hypocrite. Right? I can't believe that so-and-so would let their daughter do that. And whatever it is you're talking about may even be true, And yet the heart of those kinds of statements is the idea of attacking the individual. And James is saying even that act, even if there is full truth to it, is just as much evil. R. Kent Hughes puts it this way, that there are many believers who use truth as a license to righteously diminish others' reputations. And so I ask you as a church this morning, are we guilty of that? using what we know to be true for the purpose of attacking another person's reputation, of bringing them down, of making them look bad because they're not as righteous as we are. 
Because James is saying, and Proverbs is saying, that is much just a sin. It's the opposite of love. It's the opposite of wanting to help. It's the desire to harm. This is exactly what it means in saying death is in the power of the tongue. That whether it's attacking individual, whether it's spewing lies, whatever it's saying, anything negative, we have the ability to harm other people. And this kind of sinful speech, it's only going to bring ruin into our lives. It brings death into your life. It brings death into the lives around you. It is absolutely wrong, and it's, mu- it's what we must avoid. I think all of us can think of many ways that people have spoken words, whether they are true or whether they are false, that have absolutely crushed your soul, right? Or words that have harmed you, made you question your reason for living, made you question your reason for being in the job that you're in, or whatever it might be. I mean, even to be fully transparent, right? You know, entering ministry, you know, you think, hey, you're finally in a place where you know God's call for your life. You believe in the word of God, which is exactly what I've been trained to do. But it was exactly when I started ministry that people said things to me which made me automatically just want to quit. Right Right off the bat, though I knew the truths of God, though I believed everything to be true, people's words entered my heart and soul. And all of us have experienced the harmful effects of words too. And so I want to ask you this morning, can you see patterns in your own life, patterns in your own speech which you believe, you understand, are bringing death into your life and into the life around you, right? It could be one of these areas that we looked at of lying, of deceit, of flattery, of gossip or slander, or it could be anything else that we didn't have time to cover here. But I just want to ask you as our church, do you see patterns of sinful speech in your heart? Are you able to recognize ways that you are actually bringing death into your life? Because that is absolutely wrong and sinful. We need to repent of it. And so in Proverbs, in the beginning here, we see exactly the forms of speech that we have to avoid, right? The words that we must not say. But thankfully, by God's grace, Proverbs also speaks much to the kinds of words we should say. That just as much as death is in the power of a tongue, life is in the power of the tongue. And so that's what I want to look at next. And secondly, what you should actually say. And there's a lot of ways you can try to study this subject, but the main emphasis that I want to bring to your attention is that our words as Christians, our words as followers of God should bring life to people. Life. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Gracious or pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. That is that gracious or pleasant words bring the same sense of sweetness and restoration and encouragement as eating the sweetest and purest natural honey. Another one, Proverbs 27, 9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. That is that there's a kind of person that shares a kind of encouragement and word that brings the same sense of refreshment as oil and perfume. It brings the same sense of restoration and comfort even in your darkest of moments. In other words, God is saying that our words should be that which bring healing and hope and kindness and encouragement and comfort to other people. We should be saying words like, you are indeed loved by God. This could even be the power of offering uh, words like, I am sorry, or giving uh, comforting reminders like, God is true, he is loving, and he will not abandon you. 
The kind of words that should be flowing from our tongue are those which are encouraging and uplifting to the people around us. Right, friends, can you even say that your words can be described in this kind of way? Now, your speech to people in person, your speech online on social media, the things that you say over an email or a text are like honeycomb sweet to the soul. Because that is how our speech should be. I love the example you see even from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. As you know, you know, Apostle Paul was one of the mavericks of the Christian faith. You read through the book of Acts, you read through all of his letters, and he seems so bulletproof in so many of those examples, right? He's the kind of individual where he goes out, he goes after false teachers, he goes after people who is attacking the faith, and he stands as a stalwart no matter what. And yet when you go to the letter of 2 Corinthians, you understand just how difficult life would have been for him. How hard it was in so many of the uh, incidents he had. And he was going into this letter with a very heavy heart. And he says this in chapter 7 and verse 5 of 2 Corinthians. He says, Even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. Right? We don't have time to talk about the whole context here, but, but Paul was heavy in the letter of 2 Corinthians, right? That the people had rejected him at one point before these other people. Those that he invested in had now turned away from him. He was feeling the very downcast nature of ministry. In his darkest time, he was saying, I was so comforted by your words. I was comforted by the, the workings of Titus coming and speaking truth to my soul. And I was comforted by what he said that you had said to me. Right? Even the apostle Paul needed that kind of refreshment. And that is exactly how our speech should be. That we speak words of kindness and love and, and gentleness and encouragement that uplift the souls of other people. In fact, Proverbs uses the, the greatest of terms to describe our speech. It says in Proverbs ten eleven, this is coming from Solomon, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. And then Proverbs fifteen four, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. This is literally Edenic language. It's language that's bringing us shades of the Garden of Eden, of the, the world that we long for, that all of these people wanted to get back to. And what Solomon is saying, what God is saying, is that when we are speaking with true wisdom and understanding, when our words are couched through the fear of God, our, our mouths can be like a, a taste of Eden to those around us, and how it builds others up, and how it encourages them. And we understand as Christians today that the gospel most of all transformed the nature of our speech, right? We have a whole new purpose behind how we talk. It's in Ephesians 4 that you hear how Paul is instructing what exactly the church is called to be, right? What the ministers are called to do in equipping the saints, and you hear this in verse 15. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. 
from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, that's each of you, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In this whole section, Paul is saying it's not the the leaders and the paid professionals that, that do the work of ministry, right? It is every single one of you who is here. The work of ministry, the way that the church is built up, the way that it is constructed, the way that God designed it, is so that every single person sitting here who is a true believer, you are doing the work of ministry. And it happens, it is accomplished as you speak the truth in Love. Right? Paul David Tripp says it so famously that every single conversation we have is a form of ministry. Every, every single conversation you have before a Sunday service, right, afterwards in a fellowship group, as we gather for men's breakfasts and women's back breakfasts, the, the conversations that you have online just during the week as you're talking about what's going on, everything we're saying as a believer is a form of ministry. And so that can be used to either help or harm the believers you're talking to. That through what you're saying, what you're being intentional and very uh, professional sort of sit-down counseling conversations, and what you're talking about on a Thursday or Friday night over dinner, that is a form of ministry. And so are you using your words in every single conversation to build up the church or to tear it down? Are you speaking words of encouragement that's reminding people of God's character and promises, that's helping people respond to situations in a Christ-like manner, that's exhorting in a loving way brothers in sin, that's trying to help people understand exactly how God is calling us to live? Are you giving wise and helpful counsel? Or are you guilty of speaking words that you know are tearing people down? And are just blasting and complaining all the time because we have a responsibility in the church, Calvary. We have the responsibility to speak the truth in love, to build up this church. The people that you're sitting next to, the people that you know really well, and the people that you don't know at all, we have this responsibility to use our words to speak life, to speak truth, to help the people around us grow closer to God. We need to be able to offer good counsel. And so just think about the conversations you've had over the last week or the last month or six months. The things you've said, the things you've talked about are people being built up more into Christ-likeness. Are, are their eyes, are their hearts focused more on him or are they be focused more on just how awful the world is? What is the grand total of your influence on other people by your words? Because you are influencing people, whether you like it or not. And so therefore, how much more should we be intentional, be very intentional how we're growing to know God's word so that we can offer good counsel? How are you trying to grow in your ability to minister well? Because you are a biblical counselor. You are a counselor in some kind of form through what you're saying. Are you offering the right righteous counsel or harmful counsel? As we look at Proverbs, it reminds us so poignantly, so necessarily that our words, yes, they must be truthful, and yet they must also be done with the right tone. They must be done in love. Your Proverbs 15, it says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 
a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Right? God is saying through Proverbs that the way that you speak to people, your, your character and tone in conversation, that too matters. That you need to speak the truth and love, and yet you have to do it in the right kind of way. Otherwise, even the best of words can be harmful. Right? That's the whole nature of 1 Corinthians 13. You can speak the truest of godly principles and yet be nothing more than a noisy gong. You can speak the best of what the Bible has to offer and yet produce something that's ugly coming out of your mouth. If you are not a loving person, if you're not speaking it in the right kind of tone, with the right kind of heart. And that's why I love Paul's description in 13 of what love is. In 1 Corinthians 13, right? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is how we must speak. When we are offering words that are needed, and sometimes those are very hard things to say, Right? Confronting a brother in sin. Helping a person that's seeing things so backwardly, backwardsly to see things according to God's truth. We have to be patient and kind. We have to be gentle and humble. We have to be peaceful and long-suffering, even in our tone and who we are. That our words, as we're trying to build up the church, as we're trying to help people, needs to be done in a spirit of love. And so again, I encourage, I exhort, I challenge you as you are helping other people, as you're speaking in conversation, right? Whether it's in person or online, whatever it is, are you speaking with a heart of love? A heart that genuinely cares, a heart that shows compassion so that you can speak the truth. And it doesn't come across like a clanging symbol, but it comes across in a way that God wants us to, which has his very heart. That is how we must speak. This is how we see that life is in the power of the tongue. That those who love it will eat its fruits. It's saying that as much as our words can reap death and destruction in our lives and in our community, our words too have the power to reap life. And so we need to do this as Calvary Bible Church. That our words are how a church can be built up and our words are how a church can be destroyed. And so we must make sure that our words are chosen carefully. That we are speaking in ways that helps the people around us and does not harm them. That speaking life instead of speaking death. This is what we need to do as a church. And that's what I encourage and challenge all of you with. Can you see just in the broad spectrum how you speak? Do you speak what helps or what harms? This is what we must do as a church. And thankfully, God does not leave us just hanging there. Or maybe you're a person where you say, look, I realize that the way I communicate, the things that I talk about, the things that I complain about are breaking the relationships around me. It brings a bad witness to Christ. And I I want to change. I I don't want to do this anymore. Thankfully, God gives us help. And so this is what we're going to see thirdly and finally in this passage and in God's word, right? We've seen what you should not say. We've seen what you should say. And then thirdly and finally, we're going to see what makes the difference. 
And it's a very simple truth. It's a very simple message that should be fairly intuitive to all of us. And it's this, that the words we say, the things that come out of our mouths are ultimately a reflection of our hearts. And what we say it are not just words that are coming, they just happen autonomously. But whatever we say about, whether it's in a private matter or very publicly, these are a reflection of our heart. Right? Jesus says in Luke 6, 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. Right? The heart is what guides and determines your desires, your emotions, your ambitions, and it influences and determines everything you say and what you do. Everything flows from here. And so all of us have had this very personal experience where we've said something and had to take it back saying, I didn't mean that. Right? All of us have had those times where you get upset and you say things that you instantly want to take back. But what Jesus is saying is that when you speak, the reality is you did mean that. That we do mean what comes out of our mouths. It's the deepest reflection of who we are. And so if we're trying to change our speech as believers, it it doesn't happen by just mechanically avoiding certain words, right? All of us have had that experience when you were younger, or some of us did, where, you know, maybe you you said something wrong, or maybe for some of you kids, you've said something wrong, and as a punishment, your parents have put something awful in your mouth, right? I had that experience growing up. My mom would put soap in my mouth and made sure I didn't swallow it. With the idea being, you need to feel just how awful those words are. Right, to, to tangibly experience just how poisonous, how bitter, how disgusting the words are that you said. And I'm not saying that is the best way to do parenting, right? That's one thing that some people have done. Uh, please don't sue me. Uh, that is exactly what some people do. But what Proverbs is trying to say is though you can do some external kinds of change, right? None of those things will ultimately get to the heart. Now, you can do things to kind of conform your child's behavior in a certain way to make them feel something, but at the end of the day, that's nothing but an external modification, right? It does nothing more than potentially change what they say while they're in your presence. Ultimately, what we need to see change, if we want to see our speech change, is our hearts need to be changed. God has to change you at your very core in the way that you speak and what you think about and how you see other people and the way that you respond to situations. God has to change this. He has to change what's in the very center of you if you want to see your speech change. And that's why it's so beautiful that the Bible says that our hearts are ultimately changed when we are exposed to God's words. How fitting is it that our words are ultimately influenced and shaped when we are exposed to God's word? That's what we see all throughout Scripture. That's why the New Testament is described as the word of God, because it is his very speech to us. Right? You have that famous passage in Hebrews 4.12. It says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Right? And this is a well-known passage that's sometimes you know, put on, on uh, fridge magnets in this very cute you know, kind of way. But this is actually a, a passage of judgment. The idea is literally that Israel was judged because they did not believe in that day. And so therefore, you must not walk away in the same hardened heart. Do not walk away as they did and fall into judgment. Let God's word pierce you. 
The word of God, God's words is sharper than a sword and it will pierce the very division of soul and spirit. His words expose the very deepest parts of us, make you realize the ambitions and evilness that you didn't even realize it was there. It's as we listen to the words of God, as we read its whole counsel, that we realize just how messed up we are. Just like an onion, you thought you were good. You thought you had gotten over certain parts of sin, but as you grow in righteousness, as you read his word, you realize just how much more evil there really wasn't even before. That's the power of God's words. It exposes the evil in our hearts. It forces us to recognize ways of sin that we didn't even know. It shows us our sin, and at the same time, God's words is what sanctifies us. It's what changes us. In Colossians 3.16, again, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And what's the result of that? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing praises and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts before God. This passage is saying that as God's words dwell in you, as they're permeating your very thoughts and hearts and your eyes and your ears, as that is what is, is filling you, abiding in you, it changes your very being. It leads you to praise his name, to sing songs of thankfulness to him. It causes you to speak and admonish one another in wisdom, right? You see the things that your friends are doing which are wrong, and you care about their soul. As God's words is in you, it causes you to leap out in thanksgiving to our God. In other words, as your mind and your heart and your soul is being permeated by God's very words, it changes your speech. It changes your speech from one of attacking and bashing. Uh, of complaining and being upset at everything to one of loving and exhorting and praising and thanking. It's as we are exposed to God's words that the way that we think is changed. The way that we act is changed. The way that you respond to good situations and bad situations is changed. The way that you see people that hate you is changed. And the way that you speak to people is changed. How is it that we see a change in our speech? It's not by some kind of external punishment, but it's by listening to God's very words. That the more we are exposed to him, the more we see him as he is in his Bible and his scriptures, the more we become like him. That's exactly what it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, right? And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, as we see his glory, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That as we behold the glory of God, as we see him as he is, as we see his words, what he loves and what he hates, as we dwell on that, we are being transformed by one degree of glory to the next. We're being sanctified little by little. It doesn't happen overnight. But at every day, every hour as we listen, our hearts are slowly being cleaned away from the rubbish that we are to become more and more like our God. Our hearts are very much like a bag of tea or like a, a tea container, right? The longer that the bag of tea sits in the water, the more the water is transformed to become more and more saturated in that substance. And in the same way, our hearts and it's the more that time that we are spending in God's word, the more that we are listening to him, the more that he will change us. 
The more that he will literally change the substance of who we are, it comes from beholding the glory of God. And so how much today, how much in your own lives are you making sure that God's voice is the most important voice you're hearing? Are you listening to him more than anything else in this life? Are you allowing his words to change your heart? Because God warns us through the book of Proverbs that whatever you ingest, whatever you are dwelling on, that is what will influence you. I don't know if this is a quote from someone. I don't know if it's something that someone wrote down, but I know it's an absolutely true statement. It's this. We become what we behold. We become whatever it is we behold. This comes straight out of Proverbs 4.23, where the author says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet that all your ways will be sure. In other words, avoid, be careful of everything that's influencing you. Be careful of the things you look at. Be careful of the things you hear, the the people you listen to, the, the things you listen to on the news or in the media. Be careful where your feet go. Be be careful with the people you're around and the places you be go, because all of that is going to affect your heart. Guard your heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. And so guard everything that comes in contact with you. Be guard, be ca- guard and be cautious of what you behold. Because that is what will affect how you speak. You know, I found this uh, so interesting. Right? I noticed, you know, I haven't been watching the news for a very long time. I've been choosing to read it for a long period of time. And part of it was because as I watched a number of the news shows that's out there, on either side, whatever camp you're a part of, I, I was shocked by just how angry people are, right? That you're watching the news on whatever side and, and everything that's coming out is how awful they are, right? How hypocritical that other side is. How on earth could anyone follow that side? And what I found so interesting is that it was the people who watched the news so much that would also echo those same kinds of sentiments, that would come to church and every single conversation became about how awful political leaders are and how awful the other side is. We become the things that we behold. And I'm not saying we should not be uh, informed of what's going on, but are you mindful of what you're listening to, what you're watching? Or are you mindful that if you're hearing things where the language is so toxic and skewed, you're going to start speaking the same things? And that's just one example there. But are you thinking about in terms of the music you listen to, the, the books you read, the podcasts you ingest, the, the people you talk to, and the, the nature of your conversations here? Are you mindful of how things are influencing your heart? And do you know what it is that has the greatest influence of your heart? It's very dangerous if we're spending one hour in church on a Sunday listening to God's word, and for the rest of the week, our hearts and minds are being filled with everything else in the world. Are you taking steps to making sure that God's words are what's impacting you first and foremost? And that is what you dwell on each and every day. Is your life being influenced more by God, or is it being influenced more by the world? We need to be careful. And that's why I love Again, all of these are incredibly well-known passages, but I love Philippians 4, verse 8, where God is saying we must choose to dwell in what's good. 
It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Right? And there Paul is not just saying, put away bad things from your life. He's saying, choose to dwell on things that are good. Right? Actively pursue to fill your mind and your heart with things of the Lord. Choose to dwell on what is godly. And so in your life, don't just try to avoid things that you think are bad, but what are you doing to also put on things of righteousness, right? To listen to, to hear, to focus on God's truths, because this is how we see our speech changed. Everything, again, like this can sound so much like moralism. If you don't understand, this is rooted in Christ. And that's where Proverbs starts. That's where all of these little sentiments in this book come from. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You can't apply this book about money, about your speech, about family life. You can't apply any of this if you are not changed by the fear of God. If Christ is not your everything, you can't even begin to try to fix whatever's wrong with how you're speaking, with whatever your kids are saying that you think is, is unwholesome. It has to come from relationship with God. He must transform your heart, and he must be your everything. And so ultimately this morning, right, if you realize there's ways that your, your words are not good, are you first and foremost, first and mostly surrendered to God? First of all, in confessing Jesus as Lord, of repenting of your sins, but then even beyond that, making sure your entire heart is, is consumed by the fear of our Lord, of, of our loving God. We can only live these things out if we know God. Because Christ is the one who transformed our tongue. He is the one who gives us a new way of speaking. He is the one that makes sure our words are not words of death, but words of life. It comes ultimately by Christ. And as we listen to his voice, as we surrender to him, as we make sure our words are being guarded, that is how we see our lives being changed. Make sure our words are guarded. Make sure your words are those that are honoring to the Lord. It's exactly what you see in James 1.26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And so I pray and I hope that we would be known as a church where our words, our tongue, our speech would be such that's moving more and more into words of life. Those that help the people around us. Those that build them up more and more in the knowledge of God. Those that are lovingly encouraging and exhorting each other. And that we would be a church that's not known for speaking words of death. May we be a church that honors the living God in how we speak. And we would represent Christ well to one another, but even more so to the outside world. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we recognize that these passages are indeed very heavy. That through your word, you're challenging the very nature of who we are, that you're exposing the deepest parts of our hearts. And yet, Lord, that is exactly what we need as a church. And so we just pray that even now, even this morning, you would be encouraging all of us, you would be convicting all of us as we need it. 
that whatever ways we are guilty of speaking words of death, we would so repent of that, that we would ask for forgiveness, that you would so transform our hearts and that we would be able to say with honesty, with full confession that our words are words of life, that they build up the church, they help other people be more like your sons, who live more with joy and not despair. And so, Lord, we confess of our sins. We ask for forgiveness for the ways that we have so rebelled against you through our tongues, and we ask that you, O Christ, would do the work that only you can do, that you, O Holy Spirit, would do the transformation that only you can do in making us more like your Son. And so may your words change ours. We thank you and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.